Okay. So, wait, do you want to start my podcast for me? Um, not yet. No? You can start. You want me to start the podcast? Mm-hmm. All right, don't, don't chew food into the microphone. So, this is, I think, what, my fourth episode? I'm going to say, like, a ninth or twentieth, because you've been interviewed with so many people. Oh, right, yeah, but this is the fourth one that I'm getting finished. Oh. This is the fourth one that I'm, uh, that I'm finishing up and getting out there. But you've seen me interview a bunch of people, which is true. I have a lot of interviews that are like wait, waiting to be waiting to be edited, waiting to be put out as an e- as episodes. So this is, I think, the fourth one to go up. And this is with my friend Jamie Schler. She lives in France. You met her in this conversation. There's proof of you meeting her. She is an author, and she is a baker. She is the woman who wrote that book that we made the orange cake from. Oh, okay. What did you think about that cake? It was delicious. Yeah, it was. We should do. We gotta make that again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did she get it for you for your birthday? I don't remember. No, she wrote that book. She invented that recipe. I bought it, but she wrote it. Let me go get the name real quick. Okay. Orange. What is it called? Orange apple. Orange apple. Actually, it's called orange appeal. Appeal. An apple. Well, it would be spelled slightly different. You're close. Orange apple. I'll bet you orange apple is probably a good recipe, too. Once upon a time, there's a little orange, and the little orange was called Mr. Orange. And Mr. Orange's best friend was an apple, and the apple's name was Mr. Apple. Their best friend, but it was Mr. Orange's last birthday. Mr. Orange's last birthday? And everyone celebrated the was the conflict in that story? You mean? Well, you have a story like that. You're gonna have an orange. You have a, you have a Mr. Orange. You have a Mr. Apple. Mm-hmm. And then you have a, the premise is that they're that they're celebrating a uh, a birthday story. Mm-hmm. But you need some kind of a, of a conflict so that that can get resolved. So that that can be what the story is about. Yeah, you, but it was a nice story that she wrote. Oh, you're reading. Do so you think? Oh, so you're reading it from her book. Well, it's a nice recipe. But I think we need to work on your story more. So I never know how to begin these things, but I am right now talking to uh, my friend Jamie Schler, a correct pronunciation? Correct. Who I've been friends with on Twitter for, God, I don't even know how long. Do you have any idea? No, I don't. I just feel like it's been forever. Yeah, it's been years. It's been <laughs> years. I mean, I got, it must be around the time I became active on Twitter after the 2016 election because I just got so, I got tired of alienating people who I know in real life on Facebook. So I decided to start alienating people on Twitter. And then I made some friends too. (laughs) I came back on in 2017. I'd kind of abandoned Twitter and I was on Facebook. And I decided to come back on when when I signed a contract for my cookbook, thinking I need to go back on Twitter and kind of bring back to life this platform that I could use potentially to promote my book. And then I got sucked into politics, into the black hole of politics. <laughs> yeah, it's like everybody, like everybody. This seemed like there was a, for a little while, it was impossible. I couldn't maintain a decent obsession with anything for a long time. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I like getting into a thing. Like right now I'm into making this podcast or into making music or something. And uh, I couldn't get into anything for a really long time because I just was so 
caught up in my anger. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people that couldn't work anymore. I mean, I got out my cookbook, I got out some more published stuff, but then, but then it all kind of died. And it was last year that I realized I started seeing, you know, really, really well-known writers on Twitter saying, I haven't written a word in the past two years. I just can't anymore. Right. Because it just was so depressing and dark. And, and when I would see things like that, I would, in a weird way, be like happy because I was like, oh, good. It's not just me. Right. Other people are going through. We are living inside a dark cloud right now. It does feel, though, like we've come out of it. To, some, yeah. to, a, to a big extent. To a certain point. You can actually go for 24 hours without getting on political Twitter. Yeah, which I'm trying to do more of now. Twitter is a... Uh, my wife and I have had some conversations about my Twitter presence, you know? <laughs> I know. I know that conversation. <laughs> so, okay, let, let's... Real quick, I don't want to make this... This is not... Like I was telling you yesterday, it's not an interview show. It's a conversation show. But I just want to make sure that everybody knows who you are and why you're cool and why they should be jealous that I'm talking to you. You are a, an author. and a, okay, First of all, you are a chef. Yeah, I have so many hats, it's confusing. Yeah, you really do. You really do. You are a, you're a writer. You are a cook. You own and operate, is it a B&B? No, is it's it, a hotel, 27 rooms. 27 room hotel, wow. Is this one of the rooms that you're, that you're sitting in right now? Yes. This is beautiful. I, oh, wow. And you're where? You're in France. I'm in France, in Chinon, which is in the center. Cool. And how long have you been there now? I've been in Europe since 1987 as a resident. And some of those years were in Italy. The rest, most of them in France. And we've been where we are, Chinon, for since January 2015. Okay. So this is new. So this is new. You, you haven't been running hotels the whole time that you were there. No, 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 no. This was okay. a kind of one of those, you know, reconversion, let's own our own business kind of thing because, you know. And it was going pretty, I mean, it seems like it's going well, but it was obviously going better before COVID. Everything was Everything. going better before COVID. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had, we had 2019 was an incredibly great year for the hotel. January, February, the first two weeks of March were really, really, really good. And reservations for the rest of the year were crazy. And then it just died. Yeah, well, we're going to bounce back. I, I'm, I'm relatively certain that, that there's going to be a, maybe I'm not relatively certain. This rel, I'm just extremely hopeful that we're going to have like a, like a, a post-COVID, post-Trump renaissance of people realizing that they can go out and do things and maybe like, you know, feel like the, like the boot is off of our neck a little bit. I'm wondering how much, which we can talk about later, but I mean, I'm wondering how much people are just going to fall back into their old way of life and old habits, or if people are going to be doing, you know, have gone through changes and realizations this year, and they're going to be doing things differently. I mean, we think about that in the tourism business. Are, is tourism going to be the same? Or are people going to start doing things differently and traveling differently? And uh, Yeah, I, that's, that's a great question. And I think that a lot of us are going to be unwinding that for a long time. Like, I don't think that we've begun to reckon with what COVID has done to society. Yeah, it's not done yet either, at least not here. So it's definitely not done. It's not done here. I, I haven't, I'm months away from being able to get my first shot. But, you know, like even when it's done, I was having a conversation with some friends uh, last weekend, and we were discussing the emotional toll that it has on people. 
and how there are really depressed people out there who aren't high up on the list to get shots, but need to get out of their house. Yeah. People who are really going through some bad shit. I mean, there's times in my life where if there ever was a time to live through a pandemic in my life, it's now. Because there are many times I would not have been able to handle it as well as I'm doing right now. Like now I'm married. I have a kid. We live in a house out in Rochester. Whereas before, like I was depressed living in an apartment with a tiny room with roommates. And if it had hit then, I don't know how I would have gotten through it. It's so hard because so much has happened this past year with the election. I mean, we were in the middle of COVID during that. And I don't know. It's hard to think about how have we changed with COVID when we have been a lot of us so emotionally impacted by the election, what led up to it. So it's kind of hard to differentiate that, separate that out too. It is. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, that they're easy to uh, differentiate. They really fed into one another. Like it would have been bad to have the Trump presidency and it would have been bad to have a pandemic, but that they came together. They both compounded their own evils. Yeah. To be more positive, the wallpaper in your house is beautiful. It's fabric. It's fabric. It's fabric. Okay, so it is uh, just, it, people can't see it. It's very flowery. It just, it looks like a, ho- it looks like exactly what I'd want on my room if I went to a hotel in France. Well, a little interesting thing is that because we live in a region, it's, well, the town is medieval. Everything was built in limestone. And it's very, very common to have fabric on your walls. And it probably comes from tapestries, when tapestries were hung on stone walls to keep the warmth in. Is it fabric that comes down or is it glued to the wall? It's stapled. There's like cotton batting insulation and then the fabric and it's stapled on. Oh, it's, yeah, professionals, the people that are professionally trained to do it oh i didn't i did not assume that you went there with a staple gun and just like stapled it to the wall no. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks gorgeous a goal of mine is i want to get over to italy one day to, to see where my family is from uh i would like to visit a lot more it'd be great if i can tour through france and stay at your place where's your family from do you know yeah abruzzo <gasps> like my friend domenica you know abruzzo well no i've never been there but you know Domenica Marchetti. I might. She's a cookbook author, Italian food. She lives in the States, and she does food trips to Abruzzo, which I'd like to go on. I would like to go there, too. Yeah. She does food trips to Abruzzo? Yeah. That sounds uh, really fun. <laughs> so you are starting your own podcast, though, right? I am. Oh, am I allowed to talk about that? Yes. I actually buzzed off a message to the producer I'm working with, and he said, yes, get the message out. Don't talk a lot about the specifics because it's there are surprises that are going to be coming out, like the guests that we have lined up, which are going to be surprising. But the whole concept of this is it's because of you, because of your tweet. If you could start a podcast today, do you remember posting this? Uh, vaguely, yes. If you could start a podcast today, what would it be? And I said, I would get non-food professionals, people who have nothing professionally to do with food, and talk about food with them, among other things. And I I think I said, I still agree. It's a great idea. You did say that. And that is the podcast, right? And that's the podcast. Cool. Matt Walton, who's an actor, but he's also a producer and director, he got in touch with me and he said, let's do this. So it's in the works. Did he get in touch with you because of that, through your tweet? Yes. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. He answered the tweet, and then thirty seconds later, he sent me a message, and we both had the same the same concept idea, and um, it just 
it took off and I got in touch with a, I have about six people I've gotten in touch with through Twitter. See, when you spend so much of your life, <laughs> 20 out of 24 hours a day on Twitter, and you can say something good came of it, then you don't feel guilty for all those hours wasted. But I got in touch with interesting people who most of them I had sometime in the past year talked food with. You know, we shared recipes or talked food. And I said, would you be on this podcast? And they all said yes. Oh, that's so cool. I think people are so tired of talking about politics or their own professions that they want to talk about something else. What can you tell us about the podcast so far? I guess I can tell you that it's called Stir Crazy, which has double meaning. Oh, I like it. I like it. And we're going to try with the first few to actually video on the side and post the video separately because me and my guests are going to be cooking or baking something together. In different kitchens, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are going to be working at the same time. In different countries. Oh, that's so cool. What I like about this is that the people that have agreed to be guests, I know more or less well, because I've had more or less conversations with them. But when I went back and I researched them, which I'm doing with my little sheets, you know, my little note sheets, everything I could find out about them, a lot of them have interesting, they've lived in interesting places, or they grew up a certain, you know, doing certain things. And to me, it's always, how did that impact you food-wise? And people don't think to ask those kind of questions. So I'm hoping that it'll be fun conversation. I think food and culture is fascinating. The things that you eat and the way that you eat, things you're introduced to are all so tied to the place where you spend your time, where you grew up, where you are now. I mean, I, I, that's part of a bigger thing that I'm kind of obsessed with right now, which is like the idea of memes, ideas. This, our brains are these meme processing units, and we're constantly sharing ideas with each other back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's where everything comes from. Our, our whole personality is the result of the ones that came into our head, into our brain and the way we responded to them. And food is absolutely part of that. I don't know. I, I, will, I will be very interested to hear your podcast. Me not making sense aside, your podcast sounds great. I'm the kind of person that when I meet people and I get to know them, I'm the person that asks the weird questions, the weird personal questions. To get at that little nugget, right? Well, to get out the real person, to kind of, you know, make them drop their facade of whatever they are, whoever they are. I mean, we all have them, especially on social media where we put forth this kind of persona. Mm -hmm. What I find fascinating is that we've all developed, especially famous people that have, you know, they're politicians or they're journalists or whatever. They really have, no matter how interesting they are, they still have one dimensional personas in public. They're the journalist or they're the politician or they're the actor. And when you start talking about food, like you said, it's very personal because it touches on where you grew up and how you grew up. Even just every day, do you cook? Do you clean up? Do you wash dishes? Do you, you know? I have a much different relationship with food now that I cook than when I was just eating. And that tells a lot about you as a person that if you're talking about what you do professionally, people might not see because it's something kind of personal. So I always find talking about things like food and cooking and hobbies and whatever, people open up and you discover a lot about people. That's a good angle. That's a good way to get in. That's a good entry point for understanding a person, I think. I already can tell you're a good conversationalist. We were talking about this a little bit on Twitter uh, yesterday and you were saying you're a little bit nervous. And I was saying how scared I was to start this podcast 
and I'm actually loving it. It's fantastic. I'm getting to talk to all these people, which like, I don't know why I didn't think about this earlier. I could have been having conversations with all these smart people. The only thing that's stopping me from anything is like how slow it takes me to edit it down into something that's listenable. Mostly it's my voice. Mostly it's me fixing my kind of talking. But you don't have that. So you won't have that problem. Well, it's funny because I, I mean, there's two things. I have been like this. I've been guests on podcasts before. And some of them just kind of flows and it's fine. And I, you know, I'm okay listening to myself because nobody likes to listen to themselves. And there are others where I just am like, you're talking so slow. Who, you? Yeah. It's like we were talking about podcast insecurity. It's it's one thing being the interviewee, but when you're the interviewer or the host, you have to kind of... My suspicion is that you're going to do really well. My suspicion is that you're going to be a really good podcast. <laughs> and you have a very nice voice. I spend a lot of time listening to my voice, and I spend a lot of time listening to a lot of voices now because I've been thinking about it, and I just hear a voice, and I'm like, oh, that's a, a pleasant voice to listen to, and you have one of those. When I listen, it took me a very, very long time to be able to listen to myself recorded. I feel like I sound like very school marmy, but I think it's because living for almost 40 years, you know, 35 years in Europe between two different countries with three languages, I think I speak now in a way that it's kind of like you always have, no matter what language you speak, people have to understand you. You have to make sure people understand you. So you have to speak very clearly and you have to cut out slang and things like that. So you end up sounding like a school norm. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to push back against that. You sound, I think you have a very nice, sophisticated voice. Oh, okay. Hang on one second. Okay. Yeah. Gypsy. Can you give me two minutes? Not even two minutes. Hang on. Sorry about that. Uh, my son is doing, you know, at-home school, and he really can't be trusted to get into cl the classes he's supposed to get into. And I'm not a great schedule person. I'm trying to become better at it, but I'm not a great schedule person. So we have issues. How old is he? Six. Almost seven. Oh, and you are... A new grandmother, correct? I am. You, you showed some pictures of beautiful granddaughter. Daughter of Rosalie. And uh, where does she live? She lives in Belgium. But you haven't gotten to meet her yet, right? Once in September, they came down. They came down for five days. Oh, I'm glad that you got to meet. I can't wait. I mean, it'll be so nice when we're all we're all shot up and we can go hug people again. I know, and I think Belgium is still, I think they're still sealed off. I mean, like two weeks ago, a week ago, they completely sealed nobody in, nobody out. They didn't do COVID very well, but then France isn't doing very well either, so. Who, who is, really? New Zealand. I think we should all move to New Zealand. Biden is doing a hell of a job, but. Oh, yeah, Biden. I'm very happy with, very happy with Biden so far. He was not anywhere near my top of my list, but I'm happy with what's happening right now. So what were we talking about before I, before my my bad fatherhood interrupted us? Food and voices and my other son who lives in Switzerland calls me and is like, I'm here for my weekly parole call. <laughs> <laughs> Except he calls me once a day for language because um, he does a lot of writing in English and he calls mom just to double check that. It's oh, 
So that's not his his first language. Actually, I have one son whose first language is French and one son whose first language is Italian. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, it was complicated, but fun. <laughs> no, he speaks incredibly well. Both of my sons are like, they're, they're better writers in English than I am. So. Where are you from? I grew up in Florida. I'm a space baby. My dad worked, worked for NASA. Oh, shit. You know that. Did we talk about this before? No, I don't know if we talked about it, but I put stuff on Twitter occasionally as I discover stuff about him because we're still discovering stuff about him. I think we did. I think that you mentioned something and I was really, I think I had asked you some questions. So yeah, now you're the Twitter person who has a dad who worked for NASA and you found pictures of him uh, working on, like, what did he work on? He worked on everything. When NASA created the manned space flight program in the late 50s, my father was picked to head the division that developed the life support system. So he developed a life support system for all manned space flight through the early shuttle from the monkeys back in the 50s, 60s. So he was a Mer- he was working on Mercury stuff. Yeah, everything. Mercury, Gemini, everything. And through all the Mercury and Gemini flights, during the mission, he was environmental control. They switched environmental control post-launch. Oh, there he is. Okay. Hey, Amy, come here. This is my friend Jamie. Hi. This is my son Emiliano. Hi, Jamie. Hello. How are you? Good. Guess where she is right now? California? No. France. Oh. Yep. She's all the way across the ocean right now. We're talking to her. That's pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. So what happened with your class? With me. Well, what happened? You you, you forgot to, you didn't go to your, your music class, right? Well, we're not undercover. What? We're not undercover. I wasn't undercovering it? Mm-hmm. What does that mean, undercovering it? Is Dad supposed to be watching when you take your, do your music class? Yeah. Uh, I'm supposed to be watching? Okay. Oh. I don't know about that. What do you still be doing right now? You have another class to get into? In a little bit. All right. Don't miss that. Okay? Okay. All right. What's your next class? Math. Math. Oh, that be, be real good at math. It's important. Her dad was really good at math. Her dad yep. helped put astronauts in the outer space. Yep. What was his name? What was his name? Mort. Mort. Oh, Mort. Yeah, I looked him up. I looked him up. I fa- I, I fa- oh. actually found him. All right, now go do your go do stuff. Yeah. I remember when we had this conversation before, you told me his name, so I went and looked him up, and I don't remember exactly what I found, but I, I did confirm that you have a dad named Mort who was in NASA. And it's funny because one time when I was in high school, I was taking calculus, and I didn't understand at all what the lesson was, and I never, ever, ever asked my dad for help in school. So I went and I said, can you help me understand, explain this calculus to me? And he looked down and it was, he had no, I, he could not explain it to me because to him it was just so blatantly obvious there was no explanation. Really? So we just kind of stared out for a while and was like, I don't know how to explain this to you. It's too simple. And he was like, wow. That's so, that's so interesting. That is so interesting. Yeah. Do you have any of his math skills? No. Are you all left brain like me? Weirdly enough, all of my dad's side of the family are either scientists or artists, and all of my mom's side of the family are all business people. So we figured that the science and the artist kind of creative minds went together. Right. I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're part of that. You're part of that group. But you're also now a business person. Yeah, I'm I'm bad at the details, but I'm good at the... 
at the global. I can imagine that you're good at the at presentation. You do all that stuff very well. Well, after my husband like bangs his head on the desk for, I mean, he's a businessman. I mean, he's been doing business for a long time, but he'll be going crazy about something and he'll come to me and he'll say, finally, and he'll say, okay, what should we do here? And I'll say, well, if I were you, I would do this. And he's like, okay. <laughs> all right. You like to cook. I want to know what a good cooking experience is for you. I bake. I don't cook. I, I cook, but I'm not comfortable with cooking. I'm a baker. Oh. Which is very different. I love baking. You know, if I have trouble with a cake, for example, I'll call up a friend of mine who's a master baker and I'll say, what's wrong with this? And she'll say, okay, it's this times, you know, one, two, three. It's one of this to two of this to three of this. And I'm like, no, numbers I can't do. But I understand it somehow on some level. So I can develop, for example, a yeast recipe and know how much yeast to put in with how much flour and stuff. It's like calculating it from kind of mathematical standpoint. I just, I can't, but I just have a sense of it. So your happy place is baking. My happy place is, yeah, like puff pastry and stuff like that. Do, will you just lock yourself in the kitchen and put on a podcast, put on some music? What do you, like, what is... What's your process like? Um, it's the same with jam making, which you know I'm a jam maker because of the hotel. So you're a jam maker. And that I learned when we bought the hotel. Oh, yeah. cool. I, I, it was kind of like part of the contract, continue the tradition of homemade jams. Oh, oh so the, the hotel is already a jam hotel. Yeah. And then you bought the jam hotel and became a jam maker. Yeah, they said, we'll sell it to you if you continue the tradition. And I said, sure, okay. And so I had two. I had two weeks with the former owner to learn how to make jam. Huh. Cool. Uh, so, so you'll get into the kitchen. You put on a podcast. You put on some music. What do you What do you do? Uh, well, the last four years it was political podcasts, and now I'm starting to listen to other stuff. But, um, well, if I'm doing a recipe, I'm either doing a recipe that I've done before, or I'm doing a new recipe. New recipe means a lot of research, days and days and days of research, and figuring out how to develop a recipe. Oh, you mean developing a recipe, yeah. not just trying a new recipe, but like and then creating try, a recipe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just go in the kitchen and I take everything out. I'm one of those people that kind of weighs and measures everything out and puts everything in little bowls, lines it up on the counter, cleans everything else up, puts all the packaging away. And then I put my earbuds in and I cook and bake. It's very, very therapeutic because you can just block everything out. It's one of my favorite things. Especially things that take a lot of time like kneading or rolling out or i'm more of a cook than a baker i have baked and i can make and i made i have made some of your recipes or i made at least one of your recipes oh yes you did that's true and it was fantastic i keep on i'm being pressed to do it again but eventually mm -hmm. i will do it <laughs> just laziness is keeping me from doing anything i love to get in the kitchen open a beer put on it used to be podcast now i'm like listening to i'm getting i'm trying to listen to music more and just zoning into a spot where I just am focused on stirring. Yeah. And it's just so nice, you know, like chopping onions, chopping uh, whatever, and then tasting it. And I'm getting better to the point where I can, like I can't develop a recipe really by myself, but I can be like, this needs acid, which is a relatively new thing. Like I'm, I'm starting to become a little bit more intuitive with what different things will do to a different recipe. See, I think that's the difference between cooking and baking. And that's why some people are better, more comfortable with cooking and some with baking. Because when you're cooking, this is my opinion, when you're cooking, you kind of are 
ad-libbing as you go along and changing things as you go along. Whereas baking, you do a lot of that, but it's before you start. So you look at your recipe, you understand your recipe and you think this is not gonna work or this is gonna work better. or Maybe I'll add this and not this or change out the flowers or whatever. But once you get going, you can't really, there's not much to change. There's not much leeway for mm-hmm. changing thing up. So I think that's the difference, which is why some people like you are more comfortable changing it as you go along, whereas I need to do it sitting at a desk. See, and for me, I bake rarely enough that when I do, I want it to come out well, so I'll just stay close to the recipe. So I don't experiment a whole bunch. Maybe a little bit, I'm like branching out a little bit, but I mean, so let me ask you a quick question, baking was. My wife and I went for our honeymoon to a little island off the coast of Nicaragua called Providencia. And they had these these rolls, these breakfast rolls that had, they were made with coconut. And they had like a, like a light coconut flavor to them. And I'm trying to figure out what I could sub out for a regular bread recipe that would Trying to figure out like what is the thing that I can. Well, there's there's coke. See, I haven't done a lot. The only coconut I I use is for my jams. But I think you could probably find. Doesn't coconut flour exist? You can find coconut flour. There's flaked coconut and there's coconut milk. Now, when I was developing recipes for my orange cookbook, what I started to do was every time a recipe had any kind of liquid in it. And I mean any recipe from bread dough to panna cotta to pie crust to quiche filling. If there was liquid in it, I would exchange part of the liquid, the water, milk, wine, whatever it was, with orange juice. And it always worked. If you're doing okay. something that requires like a quiche filling, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to replace all of the cream and milk for orange juice, but you can replace a certain amount with it. But yeah, but it, it is a swap out thing though, right? You're like, I'm not just also adding. Right. It's a swap out thing. Okay. And probably for a bread now, I will add to pie, my, I have a sweet pie crust recipe that I add like a quarter cup, either finely ground nuts of some sort, pistachios or hazelnuts or walnuts. And I've done it with coconut, fine, fine dried coconut flakes. And I just add that to it because anyway, you end up adding a little bit more flour when you're kneading. But it's normally a swap out thing now, especially with liquid if you're baking. So it's definitely worth playing around with. You know, a lot of times on Twitter, people say, well, what if, do you think I can? My answer is always try it, try it because you're always, it might fail. You can still probably still eat it because it's probably still going to be good, but try anything. Heck. Yeah. That's been like one of my things that I've, that I've realized is it's not like if I put twice as much liquid in this and that it just explodes and you can't eat it. It just becomes its own different thing. Right. Like I used to feel like if I don't put exactly the right amount of cooking oil in there, or if I, if I use cooking oil instead of butter, and it's just going to not be a cookie or I don't even, I don't know what I thought, but I have gotten a little bit better at ex, at doing the exchange, especially with fats. If fats sometimes are tricky, but I think up to a certain point, you can exchange it in and out. It's, you know, I have so many of these old sisterhood, you know, synagogue sisterhood uh, cookbooks from my mom and my great aunt and whatever from the fifties and sixties. And they all use shortening. They all use Crisco shortening, you know, but up to a certain point, 
just change it out for butter. So does anybody use Crisco anymore? I don't. I can't get it here, but I have never even thought about it for years. But I think people still do use it. It was very popular when I was growing up. Like I, <clears throat> we always had Crisco. In yeah, the we did too. The big, huge cans. Oh, so so wait. So to to get back to your point about being lazy, because I am too. I, well. The last few years, I've gotten really lazy, and I've done less and less and less cooking and baking. This year, I've started again because we've been in confinement. But what I've found is if you go in the kitchen and you take out all of your ingredients and put them on the counter and weigh them and measure them so you have the right amounts, and you put them up there and then you leave, it's going to make then going back in the kitchen and cooking and baking easier because it's already there. It's kind of my trick to... It's like, God, I haven't baked this or I want to test this recipe and I'm so lazy. I don't want to do it. But if I take everything out and put it on the counter, then, you know, like even putting it on the counter before I go to work, then I come back. It's already halfway done. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, I kind of did that. I had this uh, recipe for bread, which made way too much bread. So I made the recipe. I did. I mean, I made all the, all the dry ingredients and then I just put half of it into mason jars just to pull out later on like so that I can just make bread mm -hmm. one day without doing that much effort. And that had, that was, I had moderate success with that. It made you moderately less lazy. Yeah, it moderately cut, <laughs> cuts back on lazy. A little tiny bit, a little tiny bit. I mean, we all have more time this year because, you know, nobody's going, going to work and nobody's working anymore. But uh, except, you know, I don't have kids to homeschool. But uh, that changes the equation a little bit. Right. But I, I think we've, you know, we think, like, well, I have all of this time now. I could be making so many jams and I could be testing recipes. But, you know, days go by and you're just like still sitting on the sofa. It's been a year of doing, not doing a whole lot, but having your brain just spin. Like, it hasn't been a restful year. No. People haven't done shit, but they haven't been resting. Well, here in the hotel business, it's it's been hard because our staff is all on unemployment. The government, the French government has put everybody on unemployment. We pay our staff for the hours that we actually need them to come into work. So if we have five on a Saturday, we might have five couples here at the hotel. We'll call our receptionist and then we'll call the clean, one or two of the cleaning team the next day. So for one or two or three clients a day, we don't need our staff. But it's more exhausting because we have to be up. All, we can't take a nap. Because in case somebody shows up or in case the phone rings, we have to help them, you know, get them breakfast. We have to help them with dinner. We have to. Yeah, you're always, we're always on. You always have to have a thing. You're, you're always, you, you can never completely turn off. Right, exactly. So it's like exhausting. Yeah. It's been an exhausting year, which is why when I, when I have baked, I've been really, really happy. <laughs> like double pat on the back. It's a nice treat and it's a nice treat to yourself. Uh, so what else? What do you, uh, what do you like really... Like, hi, Jamie, how are you? Like, what's going on right now? Well, tell me something that's, that's happening with you. Right Nothing, now. really. <laughs> really not. We, I feel like we've not been out of the hotel for a year. It's been a year we've been in confinement. The periods of time that everything has loosened up and everything's opened up, we've had a rush of clients, so we've not been able to take off. And when it calms down, we're like, oh, we're going to do tourism again. But everything is closed, so there's nowhere to go. I did make a connection this year because of my e-cookbook that I put out. I made a connection with an editor of a fantastic food magazine, which I won't say. He loved what I did. I 
got along with him. We've talked on the phone a few times. And we've just had this great connection. And I've done a couple of things for him that should eventually be in the magazine. So it's kind of st- I'm starting to do food food stuff again. Oh, good. And um, uh, and now I'm uh, in the hopes that the ebook after COVID and kind of cookbook publishing gets back to normal. I'm hoping that somebody I spoke to about publishing a hard copy of my e-cookbook with additional recipes will happen. So I've just started developing new recipes for a potential cookbook that comes out of, that will come out of my e-cookbook. So I'm starting to, since the election, (laughs) since the inauguration, I'm starting to get back into food work again. Because like we have all these brain cells that, that are like suddenly like available. And I've been doing a lot of research on my future podcast guests. So that's been, that fills up time too. That's interesting. So when do you think I'm going to get to listen to your podcast? Oh, um, I don't know. My, my equipment should get here in the next couple of weeks. And then we'll start um, okay. filming right away, taping right away. And we're going to put a few together before we start to starts to release them. So hopefully in the month, in a month, can we guess? Oh, month, cool. Yeah, will you come back on onto this uh, onto my show to talk about your experiences after Absolutely. you've gotten sure. uh, you started? Sure. It? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I, I t- but I but I tell you what you know. Twitter has been really a, a lifesaver for a lot. I mean, it's been so depressing to go on Twitter every day the last few years. But at the same time, we've formed an incredible community. Um, I've made so many friends and so many interesting connections with people because of everything that we've all lived through together these last few years. And it's created a really great community. It's been a very mixed blessing for me. It's like, like, Twitter has been, I've met, I've met people like you. I've met some of the other people who I've uh, uh, met, some of the people I'm interviewing for this podcast. But then I've also just, I've seen very ugly sides of myself that I am not thrilled to have presented to the world. I've kind of, uh, yeah, I've kind of. You're pretty good. You're pretty, you're above most of that. I'm, I have deleted, you know, half a dozen tweets in the past year, but I, um, I think it's more of not offending people who follow me. Although it's funny because I feel like people who just kind of put it all out there are kind of applauded for putting it all out there. You know, a lot of curse words and a lot of, you know, craziness, but I try and kind of, you know, restrain myself. And of course I'm a writer, so I'm kind of a grammar freak. So I double check you know, double check that it's, it's nice. It's nicely written. You have a very nice presence. Oh, thank you. you have a very nice presence on Twitter. You are, and I, I, I've told you this before, you are, it's always great when your tweet pops up because this is like anger, anger, dur, 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 dur. And then, oh, here's, here's Jamie talking about something nice. I don't mean, not, not even nice. Cause, you, Cause it's not like you were ignoring shit that was going on, but you're just, I don't know. You, you have a, a way about you that is likable. It's, it's random too, because I'm passionate about politics for very personal reasons. Politics is part, is the reason why I left the States for, you know, personal experiences with a lot of education, healthcare, things like that. So politics has always been a big passionate thing that makes me crazy over the, over the years. But then I have the food and then I have the hotel and my sons who do, do funny stuff once in a while. 
And so people must think I'm very schizophrenic. I'll put up these angry, you know. No, I think just just seem human. That's one of the things I really like about you is that you have a brand, quote unquote. I'm using the quote marks. You have a brand like you have it. Here's what here's what she is into, but then you will also talk about things that matter to you. It's just you just seem like a person to me. It's difficult because sometimes you put out stuff and you get you know a lot of feedback. And then you put up stuff that is really important to you and you get absolutely nothing. Like, what happened? Why? What happened? Very familiar with that. Twice a year, I'll put out a tweet saying, you know, for my food followers, sorry about all the politics. For the politics followers, sorry for all the food. (laughs) Okay, so that was a a lovely experience. All right, so you can find Jamie on Twitter at LikesAFeast. L-I-F-E-S-A-F-E-A-S-T. Life's a Feast. And her book is called Orange Appeal, Savory and Sweet. Some of the ad copy for it says, If you love eating oranges out of hand and have wondered what else to do with them other than squeeze them for juice, you need Orange Appeal. And I agree with that ad copy. Anyway, I'm now going to finish things up by going back to the conversation that I started this episode with between me and my son, Emiliano. Even the apple is jealous of the attention that the oranges get. No, no, no. The apple celebrated with you. <gasps> okay, but the problem is that there's a Mr. Pineapple watching from the bushes, and he's mad because he wasn't... No, no, no. He, he wasn't invited to the party. No, he was, but, um... But he didn't come because he hates them. He's okay. an angry pineapple. Let's go through the story again, okay? All right, let's go through the story again. Once upon a time, there was a little apple. I'm going to learn to name Mr. Orange. And his best friend was named Mr. Apple. There's a Mr. Orange and Mr. Apple. We got that so far. Yeah. What else? And... One day, it was Mr. Orange's birthday, Mr. Apple was so happy, and the living patient came to every food person in the lab. But it also came to... Wait, wait, hang Mr. on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Mr. Orange, Mr. Apple, they're having a party. They sent out invitations to all the fruits in the land. Yeah. And Mr. Mr. Pineapple got an invitation. Yeah, but all the foods in the lab. Oh, all the foods in the lab. So you're like Mr. Yeah, and they, Mr. Oh, Hamburger got one. Mr. Uh, Mr. Turkey Leg got one. Yeah, well, yeah. There's so many different types. And, oh, oh, and many different ones of each. And so let's get back to the story. But Mr. Pineapple also got the invitation. And what? He did not come. He hated them. (gasps) He hated Mr. Apple and Mr. Art. I knew it. I knew he had a problem with them. So go ahead. What was the problem? Why did he hate them? Because this was the first time he got ever an invitation from them because he did not get any other invitations. He's mad that they only invite him over when it's a big event, like a birthday. And he's never just gets invited for pizza on Friday. No, no, no. When I like when they have Mr. Pizza, well, well, Mr. Pizza comes over on Friday, and they all watch television. No, no, no. This was his first invitation ever. Oh, this is the first invitation he ever got. So he's mad that he that they've never given him one up until now. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep reading. Okay, keep going. So he came straight to his secret lab and built a bomb. Oh, Mr. Pineapple. So let's get this straight. Mr. Apple, Mr. Orange are having a party. Mm-hmm. 
Mr. Pineapple got an invitation. He's mad because it's the first invitation he ever, he, ever, he ever got to one of their parties. So he goes to his secret lab and he starts building a bomb. Yeah, he disguises it as a humongous cake. So he disguises it as a humongous cake. Now, is this like a humongous cake that's alive, that's invited to the party? Or no, is this a different, it's a kind of cake that you eat? It's a kind of cake that you eat. So are there cakes at the party that are alive that are going to eat this cake? Yeah. You said it was, it was sent out to it all the food. It was a bomb. It was a bomb. No, I know. It's a bomb. But are there other cakes at the party who would presumably be eating this cake? Mm-hmm. Mr. Pound Cake, Mr. Pineapple Upside Down Cake, Mr. Apple Cake, mm. We should work on those names. They're too close to the other ones. But so they are there. He makes this this cake that's a bomb, and he sends it to the party. And what? So he comes over to the birthday party with the under the sky's bomb. Okay. And he felt thankful right after he got there, and then he just threw the bomb into. Wait, he got what? As soon as he got there? He felt thankful. Thankful. Mm-hmm. Thankful that he was at the party? Or thankful that he was getting ready to kill all these people? Thankful that it was his first impatience. Okay, so once he got there, his mind changed. He was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should just make the best of this, and instead of blowing everybody up, I should just enjoy the party with everybody else and yeah. eat a non-alive cake. Yeah, and then he just went right back to his lab and made a delicious cake for everyone to eat. Oh, so he made so he went back to his lab and made a real cake mm-hmm. for everybody to eat. Yeah. Did that make him late for the party? I mean, did he? Because I would imagine that the no, party no. started. He got there, then he went back home. He had to go make a whole cake before no, no. he come back. He was the first one who ever got there. Oh, so he probably got there with the cake and he was going to plant it there. And then once he got there, he was like, you know what, I shouldn't do this. And then he went home and he made a real cake. Mm-hmm. And he brought that to the party. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what happened when he got to the party? Everyone started eating the non-alive cake. Re- even the alive cakes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a good story. I like that story, Emmy. What do you, uh, what's the cause? It's called Mr. Orange and Mr. Apple. Oh, I mean, it's really it's mostly called... about Mr. Pineapple, though, isn't it? No, it's called Orange Apple. Orange Apple. It's a nice book. All right, all right, I like it. I think it's pretty good. We, we got to work on the, uh, we, we got to get it down into a uh, an outline form and start finding out the different. I know, yeah, will you say that again? You know I made up that. The story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you made up the story. Well, good thing that I told it in the podcast because now I won't forget it. Yeah, now we have it in the podcast. It's out there. And nobody, here's the thing, is that no, once we get it out there, nobody can steal the idea from us. Well, because it's out there. We have we have the copyright on it. It's our story. If somebody wants to do this story about that murderous pineapple, they have to come to us and get permission. Mm-hmm. So, for all we know, this this is going to go out there as a podcast. Some movie executive might listen to this and think, that's a good story. Let me get in touch with that boy, Emiliano, and see if I can get the rights to his pineapple story. Okay, um, I just made that story up. It's actually a recipe book. All the other stories I'll make up, I'm putting into this podcast. Okay, so we'll have more Emmy stories in future podcasts if you are looking to make a movie. We have a bunch of ideas, is what we're saying, right? Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's a great reason for you to come back to this podcast Listen to every episode just in case an amazing story gets told, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. I think I'm going to put this at the end of the podcast, so why don't we say goodbye? Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening.